Good morning, my Patriot friends. Welcome to My Patriot Brain, the show that creates action potentials of patriotism. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Mather. Today is Monday, January 15th, 2024. Uh, it's freezing cold here in Oklahoma City. It's four degrees with a wind chill of negative 10. Uh, we're headed towards a high of 15, so get ready for that, Oklahoma City. I think the rest of you all uh, that are listing in the United States are probably pretty cold, too. Uh, I'm coming to you from behind the MPS Behavioral Science Analytics microphone, uh, again, right here in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Uh, thank you for downloading this episode. My Patriot Brain is recorded live and published twice a week every Monday and Thursday morning on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcast. And being that this is a Monday morning, we are recording live and publishing on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcast. The show is also available on Google Podcast, Amazon Music, Audible, Radio Public, and now Odyssey. Uh, follow My Patriot Brain on Spotify and share the show with your friends, your loved ones, your family members, your enemies, and anyone else you can think of who needs inside My Patriot Brain. Go to my website, theconservativesocialpsychologist.com for free content uh, and social media links where you can follow me on Locals, Truth Social, Rumble, and YouTube. My Patriot Brain is sponsored, sponsored by GadstonOne.com. Gadsden, preserve the founding. Go check out that website and, and look at some of his articles. Uh, we are celebrating one year of My Patriot Brain. Now, I, I got some, a notice uh, a couple weeks ago that from, from Spotify that it was one year of My Patriot Brain. Uh, but I had written down that uh, this was the one-year anniversary of my Patriot Brain, and I think the difference there might be they were celebrating one year of me launching the behind-the-scenes, you know, um, back-end part of the show, uh, and I'm celebrating the first episode, I guess. So anyway, uh, one year. So thanks for listening. Um, a lot of you have been listening for a year, and we all the other people that have come on board um, love the, the fact that we get to work together and uh, have a voice together. In professional football news and National Football League, uh, this past weekend, the Dallas Cowboys played in the NFC wildcard playoffs. They were defeated by the number seven seed Green Bay Packers, uh, 48 to 32. Uh, Dallas was a two seed. Uh, they lost in a pretty humiliating fashion in their opening round game. Uh, professional basketball news, National Basketball Association, the NBA, Oklahoma City Thunder from right here in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, are 27-11 in second place in the Western Conference. Uh, most recent Thunder score has the Thunders, de- the Thunders, the Thunder defeated the Magic Saturday, 112 to 100. Uh, they're rocking and rolling and looking pretty good. Uh, men's college basketball news in the NCAA AP top five, Purdue, Houston, Kansas, UConn, and Tennessee. Uh, University of Oklahoma is ranked number ninth in the AP and their 13 and three record, uh, one and two in conference. Uh, Texas Tech Red Raiders, uh, the men are not ranked in the AP yet. Uh, they are three and zero in the big 12 and tied with Baylor for first place. So go red Raiders. I'm ducked out in all my red Raider stuff today too. Uh, professional hockey in the NHL uh, division leaders are Boston, New York Rangers, Winnipeg, and Vancouver. Uh, New York Rangers have an overall record of 27 and 13. Dallas stars have an overall record of 25 and 12. And the St. Louis blues have a record of 21 and 18. Why do I pick those three? Uh, those three, um, are the ones that are probably the most popular with my fan base, given given what I see and, and who I hear from and who I talk to. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day is today. Um, happy MLK Day. Uh, it's been interesting, right? You know, Martin Luther King and, and uh, uh, Louis Farrakhan obviously had very different perspectives on how to, um, how to promote um, racial harmony slash division, I guess you'd say. Uh, Martin Luther King was more along the lines of um, everybody – getting along and let's not look at color and that kind of thing. And Louis Farrakhan, whose ideology seems to be much more militant and be the one that has won out more, um, was more in lines of, you know, 
promoting the interest of one ethnicity at the exclusion of another, uh, which Martin Luther King thought was wrong no matter how you do it. Uh, always this, this, always, this day always reminds me of a Public Enemy song, uh, By the Time I Get to Arizona. Uh, Chuck D wrote that. Uh, it's from their 1992 album, Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Black. Uh, that was 32 years ago, by the way. So if any of you remember that, that's how old we are 32 years later. Um, but that was based on an incident where Governor Evan Meacham canceled MLK Day in Arizona. Uh, and then the citizens voted against bringing it back as a, as a holiday. Uh, in Chuck D's public enemy video, and I keep saying Chuck D because he's the one that did the majority of the writing on it and, and came up with the song, uh, despite the fact he was in a, in a band, a rap hip hop band. Uh, the, uh, you know, the video had blacks assassinating Arizona politicians in revenge for canceling MLK Day. It was a very controversial song, very controversial video. And, it, and the whole incident was controversial even before he wrote a song about it um, with them you know, voting a down Martin Luther King Day. So ultimately, the National Football League moved the Super Bowl that was going to be in Arizona. They moved it to California over the incident. So the 1992 Super Bowl was in California instead of Arizona, um, all because of that incident. Uh, I would like to point out, out of all of this came something good. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys won the 1999, 1992 Super Bowl uh, in Super in uh, California that would have been in Arizona. Okay, so anyway, that's a little bit of history of stuff I think about today. Uh, all right, so we've got a new kind of feature on the Locals account. And so there is now an option to subscribe and you can pay a fee and you can subscribe and get extra content. Uh, there's still going to be free content on locals. There's always going to be free content on my website where I have blogs and old, my old podcasts and links to all of my other YouTube and rumble and all the other stuff on my website. Uh, but locals now has a subscriber feature where, uh, which will allow us to do live chats for subscribers, uh, live streams for subscribers, uh, and then also post content that's subscriber only. In addition to locals, we'll still have, um, I'll still have more posts that are uh, not subscriber only than I do subscriber only. Uh, so I'm still committed to having a great deal of free content on locals as well. Um, and everything else is free content on all, across all of my other platforms. Um, but this allows us to have conversations behind a paywall, which protects um, a lot of people ha get to have uh, more anonymity. They get to be more candid in what they talk about, uh, including myself, uh, things that don't come up on the web crawlers. Uh, you know, when I'm <laughs> part of my job and when I work is I'm often an expert witness which means that the uh, opposing counsel digs into all of my social media feeds. I have to, I'm required to um, provide them with all of my social media accounts so they can go through those and, uh, and find stuff to come after me. Um, if they're public, if they're private, then they would have to do a little bit more digging to get to those. And if it's behind a paywall, uh, then they're at least going to have to cough up a little bit of money to, to come after me. Um, but again, with all of you, right? Like the things that you say online, um, it's harder for them to get traced back to you if there's a paywall involved. That's why town hall and red state and all the Salem um, stuff are behind paywalls for some of the things that they have uh, is conservatives get, get, uh, get targeted in a lot of different ways. Uh, and that's one of the ways that, um, you know, get around what the web crawlers can do um, what uh, you know, what the FBI can investigate uh, and, and track and what everybody else can track. So anyway, th there's that new content. Uh, it was requested by people. Um, we have people now signed up and engaged with it. I'm excited. Uh, we've, I've got a, 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 an administrator that will also help uh, and engage with people uh, and be able to, you know, and, and one of the things about the subscriber stuff is that you can post, you can comment, uh, and it's a, um, 
you know, should be a good discussion. I'm looking forward to it. It's a, it's a new thing. All the old stuff is still going to be the exact same as all the old stuff we do. There's just now a new feature here with the subscriber only part of the locals uh, account. Um, so I'll still be posting on Truth Social. I'll still be posting a lot of stuff on Truth Social. Uh, again, free content on my website. Um, there are some differences for you locals folks between the app and the, and the, the web browser. Uh, there's the web browser part. There's an app you can have on your phone. Um, they're a little different. And then you can click on the community tab uh, and, and bring up the community in a separate tab that has more features for you as well. So if you haven't figured out how to do that, um, play around with that. You can do that as well. Uh, all right. So on to, the, on to the rest of the show. Um, so I was getting gas, freezing cold temperatures a couple of days ago, or actually is in advance of the really cold temperatures because I'm smart and I wanted to have a full tank of gas uh, before it hit. And so I grabbed the uh, gas I grabbed the gas pump handle to pull it back out of my car and I, I shocked it, right? There was a static electricity and shocked it like a pretty big major shock. And I didn't burst into flames. I didn't go up into flames. And I thought, man, my whole, whole life I've been worried about that happening. And I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it, but I think about it because my baseball coach's wife warned me one time uh, about, about that. She felt the need to warn me, uh, which is a very motherly type thing to do. And so now I think about her every time I, I, pump gas and how like, okay, I don't want to shock anything here. Uh, anyway, so didn't, I didn't blow up. That's the, that's the news here. I didn't blow up. The news here could also be rephrased as I got gas and didn't blow up. Uh, okay. So some stuff that's kind of bugging me here. Uh, so my Senator James Langford um, spearheaded uh, a deal that the Senate came up with uh, to, for immigration. And, you know, he's been, he's pushed very hard at, on this immigration problem. Like he, he's very adamant about a lot of things, but this makes me think that he wasn't adamant quite for the right reasons. So the deal is going to be to increase. I can't even say this without getting angry. He increased 50,000 green cards a year in the United States, an increase of 50,000 green cards a year, legal status for adult children of H one B holders, adult children, uh, legal status for adult children of H one B holders. Um, everyone released from custody, um, as far as illegal illegal aliens gets uh, gets a work permit, uh, money for lawyers uh, for mentally incompetent illegal aliens, uh, they can the government can release five thousand uh, illegal immigrants into the U.S. a day with work permits, uh, and then it, this would restrict uh, parole for those who don't cross at a port of entry. And I think that's the key to this. I think restricting parole for those who don't cross at a at a point of entry. I think was. That's the thing. That's the thing that they wanted. That that Langford and whoever I'm going to have to say the rhinos are right. Uh, whoever the rhinos are that went went for this, uh, that's the thing they wanted the most. They wanted to, you know, constrict that. So that a lot. That's going to give them the freedom to fight cartels, right? So anybody who doesn't cross at any point of entry, that allows them to fight the trafficking. That allows them to fight the cartels. Um, I think that was the key to this, and the rest of those things were con concessions because they wanted so badly to control that problem. That's one of the problems with with Langford's statesman approach, right? I appreciate the statesman approach. The problem is the other side doesn't play the same way. And so we end up giving up like all these things that are important and are, I mean, you know, fighting the cartels is very good. Fighting trafficking is very good. Those are extremely important. But the concessions for the nonviolent illegal aliens that are crossing at different spots totally misses the point of this, right? Like we need to fix all of this, not just concede everything they want and that to fix one or two problems. And that's that's the problem. Uh, and so Langford, who I have a lot of respect for as a person and as a human being, 
And I even think he understands the problems. I just, I cannot get on board with the solution to this at all. Other immigration stuff, uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams in June, uh, remember, said that they would they thought they should. He, he thought people were struggling uh, financially and that one way for them to make extra money is that the government, in his case, the city uh, or getting federal funds, I think, as he was requesting also could pay people um, for their extra rooms to house illegal immigrants. Uh, Massachusetts governor called for citizens to house illegal aliens. Also, this is where we're going, right? It's like, hey, we've got so many people coming in that maybe we can make this into an industry of some type and we can now invade private homes for this. Uh, Melrose, Massachusetts recently had a exploring the host home experience event to promote housing illegal aliens. Again, I mean, look, I have a heart too for people that are doing this. The people are the pawns of the Democratic Party. Uh, the people who are coming across are the pawns of the Democratic Party in some, in, at best. Uh, and at worst, they're sinister folks that are taking advantage of this to infiltrate our country to do bad things to us. Uh, those are the two things that are going on there. But um, housing illegal, promoting housing illegal aliens uh, in private homes, uh, that should be viewed at those. It, everything's legal. Like nobody's, nobody's paying attention to the laws anymore. Everybody's breaking the laws and then trying to find ways to incentivize breaking the laws. And then on top of that, finding now we're trying to find ways to incentivize covering up the crimes. Uh, this just, this is awful. We cannot let, um, the Democrats have more governance in the next four years. It just cannot happen. This, the whole country is going to fall apart. Uh, all right. So, uh, and more of the country is going to fall apart. Um, part, I guess, theme of the show. I don't know if it's a theme. It's a theme of the United States and I'm just covering it on the show. Uh, United States ninth court, ninth circuit court of appeals ruled on a case from grants pass Oregon uh, that essentially homeless people can't be cited for camping on public property. Uh, the Supreme Court will likely rule on this, um, which is going to weigh in on the ability of a city to create and enforce its own safety ordinances, right? So if cities can't even enforce their own safety ordinances to keep their people safe, uh, then, then what are we doing? Why do we even have a city government if they can't keep the city safe? Um, but that'll be very interesting to see. That I can see that as being a, an extremely important um, case uh, if the Supreme Court rules on it. As far as what can be done on public property, the Supreme Court has weighed in on that on a number of times. When I took my constitutional law class in college from Chip Robertson, who was the chief justice of the Missouri Supreme Court at the time, uh, we covered lots of things about um, what can and can't happen on public grounds, uh, typically in the form of, of religious freedoms uh, and what can be, you know, what types of statutes can the Ten Commandments, which that, the Texas case hadn't been heard when I took my class, uh, but can the Ten Commandments appear on uh, public property, um, that kind of thing. It'd be very interesting to see what happens with um, this ruling. Uh, Iowa caucus, I believe, is tonight. Uh, it'll be cold in Iowa. That's the big story. Is it going to suppress the caucus turnout? And I think the answer to this is they live in Iowa. Okay, it's always cold in Iowa. My I, my grandfather uh, was born and, and raised in Iowa. He got out as fast as he could. Uh, I, I don't know that he loved it. Uh, I, I would like to say that he loved it. His family stayed there. Uh, it's a cold, cold place. Uh, they understand how to do that. In fact, my grandpa actually had to delay going to college for a year. He got a scholarship to go play football uh, and he couldn't, he had to, couldn't leave because there was so much snow. He couldn't get the car out and uh, to drive across the country and, and go to college. So he had to wait a year. Uh, and in fact, halfway on his journey the year later, when he finally got out to get out there and go play football, um, somewhere along the line, he traded in his car for a motorcycle and then took a motorcycle through the cold mountains the rest of the way. 
and then drove a motorcycle for years. And he, then he met my grandmother, and so he bought a sidecar, and she rolled around in the mountains with the, in the sidecar uh, with my grandpa. Um, anyway, Iowans are tough. They'll show up to caucus. Uh, the Scottish National Party proposed uh, up to seven years of jail for parents who don't let their kids transition gender. So, okay, so if, if you're not willing to abuse your child, uh, they can put you in jail for seven. They're proposed. Uh, proposed to put you in jail for up to seven years if you don't let your kid transition. Uh, they're also proposing to ban con- conversion therapy. Uh, and they want to make it illegal. Specifically, they want to make it illegal. They also want to make it illegal for parents t- to prevent a child from dressing. This is, quote, dressing in a way that reflects their sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, so the parents would not be able to prevent their child from dressing in a way that reflects their sexual orientation or gender identity. And you can, parents could get in trouble and go to jail for that kind of thing. Uh, two things on that. So one with conversion therapy stuff, like, all right, so conversion therapy, like there are forms of it that are probably really bad for people. Um, but then there's, you know, just the fact that you disagree that somebody should change their sex, uh, that shouldn't be considered conversion therapy. Um, their goal is to make it in a way where um, you can't try to talk somebody into their gender. And the, the, the goal of that is that they could, they would, they assume that people are only trying to talk people out of transitioning gender. Um, that seems crazy to me. Right. So, so now a therapist, you know, so it's just, it's just the whole thing blows my mind, right? Like you can't talk somebody out of uh, changing genders, but you're supposed to treat them as a therapist and uh, what's best for them. Um, it, it makes no sense. Uh, the dressing in a way that reflects their sexual orientation and gender identity, the fact that you can't prevent your child from doing that. Look, if the government wants to come in and tell my kids how to dress, part of me wants to say, you know what, come on in and do it. Cause I sure as heck have a fight all the time telling my kids how to dress and how to not dress. So if you think you can do better than me, come on in and do it. But they would also eagerly come in and do it. And that's what I don't want. They have no business telling our kids, telling parents how they can tell their kids to dress or not dress. Now I know this is the Scottish national party. So this isn't in the U S but this will come here. All of it comes here. Uh, it, you're naive to think that it won't come here. And we, we, as conservatives, we've gotten burned on this so many times where we say, you know, okay, it's all right. Uh, you know, we think gay marriage. All right, fine. It'll, it's fine. It'll stop there. Right. But no, they take, give them an inch. They take a mile. They keep going. Uh, so this is where we're at now. Uh, okay, so one question that's being circulated is why did the Biden administration halt the 287G program that assists in deporting illegal migrant criminals? So this was allowing um, illegal immigrants to be deported. So the program allows agreements between the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which we know as ICE, and local law enforcement. Uh, recently, the Immigration Reform Law Institute filed a lawsuit against the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, they have a, a Freedom of Information Act request for the communications about it. Um, so basically they're asking for all of the emails and things in the decision uh, that went into halting that program of deporting illegal immigrants. Uh, Biden administration didn't respond. It went unanswered. There's a federally required 20 day window for them to respond. They did not respond during that time. They don't want to release the communications about how they shut that down. Uh, and the answer to that is most likely they shut it down because they want to let people, they, they want to let people into this country illegally. Uh, they don't follow the laws. Um, Joe Biden has completely violated his oath of office that he took to become president. All of the Democrats have violated their oath of office that are allowing people to come into the country illegally. 
This is a problem. And remember, I work in a community. I work in, in, and part of my business is working in a community where there are illegal immigrants and illegal aliens and whatever we want to call them. They're human beings. But this is problematic. We can't let this keep happening. And it's been happening for 30 years at least, uh, where we've known it was a problem. And we know we could solve it. And I, I've got something I'll say about that on my next episode on Thursday, too. Okay, but to the main topic of today's study, um, from out of Harvard Business School, some some interesting research on tipping. So if you go to a restaurant, right, you can tip. It used to be you'd tip cash and you'd leave cash on the table and you'd hope nobody else came by and took it off the table before your server got to it. Uh, or it might be a, a, a jar sitting on the counter and you can put some money into it and you're hoping people see you when you put it in. There was a good Seinfeld episode about that at one point too. Okay, so... Uh, now we have these new point of sale technologies. That's that's one factor in. Um, so there've been a lot of changes around tipping, and one factor is new point of sale technologies. Another factor is that COVID led to shifts in tipping norms, uh, and also COVID led to shifts in customer service. So there's been a lot of changes in the informal customs around who gets tipped and how much. So. The Pew Research Center in November of 2023 did a study of 12,000 U.S. adults, and seven out of 10 of them say that tipping is expected in more places now than it was five years ago. So 70% of, of U.S. adults say that tipping is expected in more places now than it was five years ago. One third of them say that it's easy to know whether or how much to tip for different services, which means that two thirds of them say that it's difficult to know whether or how much to tip for different services. So there's a lot of confusion around tipping because the norms have changed. This is where I come in, right? As a social psychologist, the norms, this is what's interesting to me. So a lot of times what happens now is that digital point of sale technologies and, and payment systems, uh, meaning that we do this on a phone, on an app, on whatever, uh, or at the counter, we're, we're typing our own stuff in. They now suggest tip amounts for everything. So that can include counter services where you just walk up to the counter and buy something. And then it's like, how much do you want to tip? Which was not the norm in the past. Um, or uh, delivery of our order after we ordered it on an app. Like you order something on an app and then you drive there and you show up and you they hand it to you. And then it's like, how much do they want it? Do you want it to be tipped? How much do they want to be tipped? How much do you want to tip them? Whatever. Uh, so in the past, you know, especially pre-COVID, you know, tips, tips were usually for wait staff and the standards, and I'm not making these standards up. These are the standards, you know, as defined by Harvard Business School research. The standards were 10% or less for bad, 15% for average, and 20% for good. Those were the pre-COVID historic standards uh, of tipping. So what's being called over tipping now has been occurred when, you know, started occurring when wait staff, staff were unemployed during the, the pandemic. So you know, different places came back online with restaurants opening at different times, but waitstaff, it was widely known across the country, had not worked in a long time. And so, and then it was also considered to be that they're on the front lines of this pandemic on the, uh, of COVID, having to be out there and serving people during the awfulness of the pandemic. Uh, it was, no matter how you want to think about the pandemic, it was awful. Whether you think it was awful from a medical standpoint, or you think it was awful from a cultural standpoint or whatever, like the whole thing was pretty awful. Uh, so, you know, wait staff were had been unemployed and they were then out there on the front lines of all of this. Uh, the uh, uh, And then people suddenly started valuing eating in restaurants because people hadn't been allowed to do it for a while. So there's kind of a psychological reactance and a rebound effect of that where people 
then wanted to eat at restaurants because they could, and then they had also wanted to and couldn't, and now they could. So um, there was there was what was kind of called overtipping at that point, where people were compensating more for that. Uh, in the background, you have all of these um, changes in the point of sale and, and payment methods that were coming on. Uh, so tipping for t- you know, tipping for takeout that you pick up started during this time. In the, in the past, you'd pick up, you didn't have to tip. You could if you wanted to, you might, you could maybe put a jar out, um, but it, it became a bigger thing tipping for takeout when um, that you pick up yourself. Uh, and then non-cash methods like paying on tablets and, and other apps increased a lot as everybody started changing their, trying to go to their touchless, cashless um, point of sale stuff. And so what this led, this led the opportunity for price framing which is where you compare a price to the other competing prices around it. So price framing is a psychological effect um, where you, you look, your price is kind of put in the context of other prices around it. It's a general framing effect, but it has to do with prices. So formerly, you know, pre-COVID, payment systems gave you tipping options of, and it was pre-standard, 10%, 15%, 20%. Now it's often 20%, 25%, 28%. Because think about it, the payment payment um, companies make more money if you spend more money, uh, and then the company the the uh, whatever whoever's selling you the product makes more money if you spend more money, and then also the uh, the wait staff or whoever it is that's going to be the beneficiary of the tipping makes more money if you spend more money on them, right? So by shifting that up on a large scale from twenty to twenty twenty five and twenty eight percent, now all of a sudden. You know, when you're looking at this as a consumer, you're looking at, um, you're thinking whatever your number is, but you're comparing it to the 10, 15, and 20% in the pre-COVID. And now you're comparing it to 20, 25, 28%. And so you feel a lot of, you know, normative social pressures of, I want to tip what's everybody else is tipping. And I guess if 25% is in the middle, then 25% is standard. So you go with that, or you go above, or you go below. And if you go below and you do 20%, when in the past you'd have done 10% based on the old scale, you've just spent a bunch more money. And across a scale, everybody's making more money with that, right? The payment systems are making more money if everybody's tipping more. Uh, the companies are making more money if everybody's tipping more. And then the wait staff is making more if everybody's tipping more. Uh, and again, some of these happen at the counter. They're not even when somebody has done something extraordinary for you, but you've just walked up to the store to buy something and they're basically just asking you to give them more money. Inflation is in fact, is affecting these. It's infecting. Inflation is infecting all of us, but it's also affecting these choices that we have. Uh, you know, as the think about it, the cost of the good has gone up. The cost of the services around the good have come up, come up right? They've, they've gone up too. So if I'm buying something, say I'm buying food, we'll stick with food because that's a common tipping one, right? I buy, the food cost of the food has gone up. And then the cost of the wait staff uh, helping has gone up for the company. So they're spending more on that too. And then all those prices are going back into what I'm having to pay for that. So now the tip goes up without even factoring in any of the price nudges, right? It's not, and we're not even factoring in the post COVID price nudges here. Just the fact that the, the whole price of the ticket has gone up means that if I tip the same as I would have before, I'm now tipping more. And if you add on top of that, those, those, uh, price frame effects, now you're going to tip more on top of the higher price. So you were tipping, you're going to have to spend more anyway, no matter what. So you're spending more on the product and the service you're spending more on the tip. And then if those frames go up, now you're spending even more on the tip, uh, because of the price nudges. So yeah, welcome to Biden's America. 
So a big suggestion for companies that are concerned that this will turn off their customers is to leave an open-ended tip option without the frames. Makes sense. So you don't have the 10, 15, 20, or 20, 25, 28% um, options on there. It's just leave it open. Would you like to leave a tip? How much? And that's that solves a lot of those problems for consumers. Now, it doesn't make as much money for everybody else in the, in the meantime, but it solves those problems for consumers. It's a consumer-friendly way to do it. Uh, still, you're left with the problem of um, those tipping options popping up on places where you really shouldn't have to tip. Uh, like if you walk into a store and you purchase a product that you pick out, carry to the counter and hand to them. And then it's like, how much would you like to tip? Uh, okay. I'll get back to that. In my closing thoughts to the Patriot brain line, girly 920 from Tennessee uh, sent me two articles. Oh yeah. She, she sent me two articles on the, on the um, Lankford immigration issue. Uh, thank you for sending me those. Uh, I got actually got those from a number of people after you had sent them to me, girly 920 from Tennessee. Um, but you were the one that put those on the radar for me. And I read yours first before I read uh, all the other ones that came to me. Uh, and and then found other information on it. Um, thank you for sending me that. I'd, and not just the fact that that's a really, really important and issue and a disappointing um, stance on that issue and solution from the GOP on that. Um, but that's my senator. Senator Langford is my senator here in Oklahoma. And um, that's so that's even more uh, important to me to get those. So thank you to Girly920 Girly for sending me those um, before ever, before I ever would have seen it. Uh, Jake from East Texas said, I'd love to hear your prediction now. So Jake is big on making, forcing me to put my money where my mouth is when I say that I've made predictions or can make predictions. I'd love to hear your, your prediction now. Uh, when you evaluate the current political landscape, where do you think the U.S. will be in the next one to five years? Uh, so in the next one to five years. Okay, he's got some specific ones after that. Let me answer that. One to five years. Uh, I like to think that we'll be, we're either going to be way better or way worse, but we're not going to be in the same position um, culturally. Some predictions that I'd love to hear your thoughts on include who will win the 2024 nomination. Uh, I don't think there's any question in my mind that Donald Trump will win that nomination. Uh, no, no matter, I don't see any scenario where he doesn't win that nomination. Uh, even if he's in jail, unless he's somehow legally precluded from ballots, uh, I think he'll win the nomination. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in the general election, um, but I think he'll win the, the, uh, the nomination. Uh, and what will be the public response if he does? Well, the Democrats are going to flip out, but who takes them seriously anyway? Because they've been flipping out since, I guess they've been flipping out my whole life, but they've been flipping out more since 2015. Um, what will the conflict in Israel look like in five years? Uh, I think it's going to look the same as it always does. This, this is just more, a, a bigger part of a longer story, right? You know, I've, I've talked on this podcast of how I used to to teach about this conflict as an example, because it was something that was, challenging either people had never heard of it and didn't know because they didn't have a dog in the fight or they were deeply ingrained in one side or the other. Um, and it was a great way to objectively use psychological, social psychological principles uh, to look at this long running conflict. I think it's the same. It'll be the same as always. I'm assuming that, I mean, Israel already hasn't destroyed Hamas and Hamas hasn't destroyed Israel. And this last October 7th, 2023 powder keg moment um, ended up being you know, it was an awful, awful thing, but it's another part of that long story in that conflict. So I think five years from now, I don't think people are going to be flying Israeli flags or flying Palestinian flags. Some people will be because some people are paying very close attention to this conflict and always have. Um, but I think the majority of the country will move on to something else and they'll be trying to figure out who's going to win the voice or one of those kind of things. It's, the country is very easily distracted by shiny objects. That's how we have seen 
uh, Ukraine flags and Israeli flags and other things that just keep popping up in there and, and they, you know, BLM stuff. And, you know, it's just, what's the next fad. So I think that the conflict will look the same as it does now. And that's not a good thing for Israel, um, that it will look the same as it does, as it has. And that's not me saying that like, it'll be back to just, you know, everything's fine. It's not fine. It's never been fine with that conflict at all, but it'll be back to that. Uh, what will Ukraine look like in five years? I think in five years, it'll look like how Eastern Europe looked when it was putting itself back together in the 1990s. Um, you know, I think we used to see things like this that happened all the time. Um, and I know that I have a lot of younger listeners. I have a combination of listeners. I've got, well, I've got younger listeners. I've got, um, I was just say we, we run the, the age differences across the spectrum pretty much here. Um, but for the younger listeners, I know that you don't remember what it was like. Uh, you know, in the late eighties and early nineties when communism fell and the Berlin wall fell and all of that stuff happened. Um, but yeah, I think Ukraine will look like, you know, five years from now, like, like every other Eastern European country looked putting itself back together in the nineties. What will relations with China look like in five years? Uh, well, I think that depends on how much we strengthen the U S this could go either direction. Like China could kind of, you know, walk away with a whimper and just still be on the outside looking in, trying to, you know, throw rocks at us and, and, and kind of run away, uh, like they do when we're strong, or if we don't strengthen ourselves and we continue to weaken ourselves, then they might make a move on Taiwan and they might make a move on us at some point. Um, I, I have, I still have faith in America though, that we're going to strengthen ourselves. Like we don't, we're not going to stay down for long. There's just too many good, smart people in our country to allow the Democrats and and the extreme progressives uh, to do what they do. Uh, and so I think that we'll, we'll rise back up again and, and we're going to, you know, we'll be able to, to play that role of, of stabilizer, uh, in the United, uh, you know, the United States will play that role of stabilizer across the globe because of our strength. And that doesn't mean that we have to just send our soldiers out to die in pointless wars to do that, or that we have to, you know, you know, we can policing the, the world doesn't necessarily have to mean that we have to be the ones to put things out there all the time, but our strength does give us the, the position to make the world a better place. Uh, and so I think that's what we, I think we'll get back there. And so I don't think China will be uh, anything like a realistic threat that we're concerned about uh, five years from now, or we could make some bad choices in who we elect and China could take over. <laughs> There's a lot on the line, right? Uh, all right. Thank you to uh, Jake from East Texas for asking me those questions and forcing me to end some positions that I'm sure I'll backpedal on and change at some point. Uh, Jason from Piedmont uh, set, pointed, sent me a video from Alex Jones. Uh, and I, I'm not usually going to talk about Alex Jones stuff on the show. That's more behind the paywall locals uh, stuff that, to do. Um, but the World Economic Forum is apparently this week and Alex Jones was fired up about disease X. They said is coming in, at the World Economic Forum, which is you know, a hypothetical disease that'll wipe us all out. Uh, Alex Jones says that the last time this happened um, was right before um, COVID came out of Wuhan, Wuhan uh, China. Uh, I have very rarely cover Alex Jones on my show. Um, he, he's I've, I've always talked about his, him as being that friend that will just throw out a bunch of wild, crazy stuff. And if you listen to it, you know, maybe 10 to 20% of it is right, but you have a hard time sorting out the, you know, which stuff is right and which stuff is not. Uh, and that's, but then there is some of it's right things I've talked about on this show that have come from Alex Jones, uh, the spaceships of Ezekiel. Like he threw that out there in conversation. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And I like looked up Ezekiel. And I looked up the, the book and I said, oh my gosh, this is like, this is 
a real like interesting thing, right? So I talked about it on our show. I, d- I don't know that spaceships really came down and were captured in the Bible or not, but there's it's interesting to look at it that way, right? So I mentioned that. And then um, the whole MK Ultra thing, which I wrote that article in Psychology Today that I've, I've talked about a number of times here on the MK Ultra program. I've talked about it a little bit on this podcast, on my old podcast. Uh, it's a pretty major, substantial government program uh, that is in, that was entirely sinister. And there is a record of that. And nobody talks about that. I'm in a field of psychology. I should be talking about that all the time. No one ever talks about it. The only place I heard about it was from Alex Jones when he threw it in the middle of some crazy conversation. And he was like, like, just like MK ultra when the CIA did this or whatever. And in psychology, people did this and he just like kept rolling on. I'm like, what? Let me, I'm gonna have to look that up. And I looked it up and like, Oh my gosh, Alex Jones is right about all this stuff. Um, anyway, so I don't talk about Alex Jones on the show much. Uh, that doesn't mean that when people send me stuff, I don't pay attention to it. Um, again, sometimes some of that stuff, there's something to it. Um, but anyway, again, Alex Jones, this, this is something I can only really talk about on locals. If people ask me behind the paywall, I can't go up. Uh, I can't go up and defend um, me paying attention to Alex Jones stuff um, any more than I already have to. All right, thank you, Jason, for sending me that. It was an interesting video. It, it does have me uh, contemplating a lot of stuff there. Uh, all right, so the uh, Patriot Brainline. You can voice message me through Spotify for podcasters. You can engage with the show through Truth Social and Locals, or email me at the email address listed on my website, theconservativesocialpsychologist.com. Independent podcasts thrive with private investments that offset the time and financial costs of equipment, software, writing, producing, editing, and on-air talent. Please consider supporting My Patriot Brain with a small monthly donation. You can use the support button on the Spotify for Podcasters page or the support this podcast URL in the show description on your other listening platforms. Thank you for listening. We're strong together. And now it's time for my closing thoughts. Why do I have to tip at the counter for someone to make a drink at a coffee shop? And I swear those are usually, do you want to tip 29, 30, or 31%? or no tip. Uh, and, the, and the kiosk is always swung around so that everyone in the line can see. Um, or at, you know, at the one restaurant at the airport where I was at one time where the whole order and transaction details were displayed on a big screen for everyone to see, including tip options and totals. I tipped my hat to the brilliant sinister minds that came up with that one. Uh, as a social, as a social psychologist in me watched everyone tip quite a bit. Uh, in fact, I actually just sat back down and watched people go through the lines and watch the terror on their face when all that stuff was up there and watch these giant tips come rolling in for the company. Uh, like I always told my classes when I taught, uh, I'm giving you the rules to human behavior. It's up to you whether you use them for good or evil. But at the very least, you can be aware of this and keep yourself and your family from falling into any traps that are laid for you. Recognize the manipulation attempts and make your own solid choices after that. Tip a bunch if you want to tip a bunch. Don't tip if you don't want to tip. Don't fall for the normative and or, or the informational social influences, both of which are now stacked against you in tipping. Recognize it for what it is and do what you want. Till I catch you next time, play hard and have fun. Listen to My Patriot Brain on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. Radio Public and Odyssey are now places where you can listen to us too. Follow me on Truth Social, Locals, Rumble, and YouTube. Check out my other content at theconservativesocialpsychologist.com.